Oh, come This oh. is not. Oh. This is Nacho Libre. Nice. Nice touch, Kevin. I was fully prepared to do what we normally do, which is That's berate Kevin for a mistake. No. Kevin. Our topic I, for today. I know the connection already. Me too. This song is entitled A Real Religious Man. Mm-hmm. I am, I am. For, it, from Nacho Libre. And in that, there is a very, very important scene regarding baptism. Right. And what does he say? He says, oh, hold on. Kevin's going to show us. Dude. Well, done, Whoa, the timing. Is it in the same track? No, did, Kevin's on the ones and twos right now. That was like a talk up. How He's you, you on know the how ones a DJ and twos. talks yeah. up a, a song? And then it was overlaid. Man. Dude. Wow. Kevin, Kevin just outdoing himself. And especially, you know, it's sad. Today of all days, Kevin's microphone isn't working. But it's show true. him your face, Kevin, so you can just give him a Kevin's proud smile. Kevin's microphone's not working. There's Kevin just. That's that was some serious, legit planning on that Kevin's was, part. That was. I'm genuinely overjoyed. And now that I'm looking at the screen, I'd like to welcome everybody to Christmas in. Yeah, welcome to Christmas with with Sam and Isaac. Yeah, we've got a Christmas <laughs> special. Man, yeah, we should have worn this. Maybe we will wear this again for the 2021 Christmas special. Remember, we said this Christmas we're just going to tell everybody all the things that they think about Christmas that aren't true. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a good episode. You were like, last Christmas people needed encouragement, so we're not going to do that. But this year, yep. here's all we're the stuff. We're back to the bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, we do look a little bit like like a good. Mr. and Mrs. Claus. Christmas and summer. We can let Kevin decide who's who. Hey, welcome, everybody. Um, my name's Sam, uh, and this is Isaac. We are pastors and the hosts of Theology Thursday. Yeah, it's a big time gig, man. It's big. We got to introduce ourselves because there's just thousands, thousands of people of watching who online. don't. Uh, we <laughs> have a good episode today. Though. We do, yeah, a very good episode. We got to get in pretty quick because we have a, we actually have a lot to cover today, and I want to make sure we get to all yeah. of it. We're talking about the series is on the church um, in general, kind of unpacking some ecclesiology as we call it, and it's in the kind of world of COVID and gradually coming out of COVID. We talked last week about how it's more important than ever for Christians to understand what the church is, why the church matters, and how we relate to it. And the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at what we call the sacraments, which in the Protestant tradition are baptism, which we're going to talk about tonight. That's why Kevin said, I'm a little concerned right now. Yeah. Depending upon your theology regarding baptism, you may or may not be concerned about someone's salvation. Yes. Depending (laughs) upon your theology. I'm sure we'll get into it. And then next week, we're going to talk about communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. There's a bunch of names for it, Mm -hmm. but the the ceremony and ritual in which Christians have juice or wine and bread. And that's to uh, commemorate the death of Jesus. So that'll be next week. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk really briefly, though, just to the top, because I already used the word sacrament. Yeah. And that is, in my opinion, like a very ancient-sounding. Ancient-sounding. Religious sound. Like, we do not use that word in any other way. Um, So it's worth defining, but at the same time, it's kind of tricky to define. And, yeah, and if you're honest, think think in chat, think about this you might have used the word sacrament or heard the word sacrament used in a church service. Like today, we're going to talk about the sacrament of baptism. And everyone uses the word, but you can ask people, even mature Christians, people who are Christian a long time, what do you actually mean when you say 
Sacrament. Yeah. What is a sacrament? And it's one of those kind of religious words that's been used so often that's a part of our vocabulary, but we rarely stop to go, what do we even mean by this? Yeah, and it's actually hard to define because different traditions mean different things. So I'll give a, a general definition, and then we'll start to even explore how different parts of the definition itself can be defined differently. Yeah. So um, Augustine, it's always safe to go with somebody like Augustine. Augustine called a sacrament, an outward visible sign of an inward invisible grace, an outward sign mm -hmm. of a inward grace. Um, and so that's kind of like a very general term, but sacraments overall are considered to be um, a way by which, and this is the way that we were talking about it earlier, a way by which the divine is made present in and for individuals. That's another like kind of standard definition mm -hmm. you can find online. And so think about that for a second. And depending on your tradition, your background in terms of Christianity, that might already be giving you a little bit of yeah, a Yeah, because you have feeling. to even define what do we mean by divine? Do we mean the presence of God? Do we mean something from just the mere kind of spiritual realm, the, right. heaven, he the heavenlies? Um, and what do we mean by a form of mediation? A like, mediation and even the word grace. So when Augustine said um, grace, typical kind of modern Protestants, they hear the word grace and they think first and foremost in, of it in a salvific sense. So He's, is he talking about salvation? And you have to remember the, the biblical usage of the word grace. It's it's huge. Obviously, there's a grace that is salvific or pertaining to salvation. But um, you know, Paul, uh, God tells Paul, "My grace is sufficient to you in answering in in in, in wanting him to take away a, a pain that some was mysterious burden." Yeah. And Augustine, in particular, or Augustine, if you're going to say it correctly, which I said I it more do. augustly. Augustly, yeah. It's 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 supposed to be Augustine. I've heard, but. It he, don't matter. It's one of those tomato, tomato. That's true. But yeah. the snobs will... The snobs will tell you whichever one you didn't use is, is the correct yeah, exactly. one. I, but he's the one who... T he talked at length about common grace. I mean, mm -hmm. that was a big th theme for him that he, he used the term grace even to talk about like in the life of an unbeliever, having oxygen to breathe, having rain that falls. Yeah. These are... These are the breath in your graces. lungs is a form of a form of grace. So, that's so you have important. to define all those words, but I think maybe just the in the most basic sense, we're talking about it where the divine God's presence or something of him or from him is touching your world, the, yeah. the, the, the world in which you occupy. So something, something is special and unique occurring. And the, and all of the kind of debate and differences of opinion among different Christian traditions has to do with how and to what degree yeah. that takes place. And that'll, I feel and like in the Catholic tradition, I, I don't know if you already said this, there's seven right. sacraments, Protestant tradition, tradition, there's typically two. Yeah. And, and I, and, and I believe even some Protestant denominations have more. I mean, Anglicans, for example, I believe have more than two sacraments. They're, could they're be, in between. Yeah, like, like they always are. They're always Those are. slippery Anglicans. I love me some Anglican theologians, though, but they can yeah, be a uh, little slippery. Via Medea is kind of the middle way. That's what they're known, known yeah. for. How so know? that's actually in my insult. It's not actually an insult. Yeah, you're, you're just calling them what they like to say they yeah. are. <laughs> so, let's, so again, Protestants have typically, since the Reformation, it's two. It's communion yeah. and it's baptism. In the Catholic, okay, let's see if, can we get the seven together right now? Probably not. Let's see. So, okay, communion and baptism. Well, let's go in the order of life. Baptism, because they're going to baptize. Communion, infants. baptism. Confirmation. Confirmation, marriage, um, prayers for healing and sick. That's, the, that's divine unction or extreme unction. Possibly. That's the same thing. Uh, penance and repentance, penance and re which is also which is confession. Yeah, we're missing one. Uh, Kevin, help us out. This was your jam, didn't you? Go to a Catholic college? No mic. Oh, 
Oh, he doesn't have a, well, that's not an excuse to not tell us the seventh one. Anyway, there's seven. I feel like, Dude, we don't have time to go back yeah, over don't go them back. all. All right, Next somebody question. Google it and list them in the thing. But we want to jump in today, and we're going to approach this a little bit differently because the natural thing to do would be like take a really systematic look at does does baptism save you? Does it not? And we'll talk about should we baptize babies or not? We'll talk about some of that yeah. later. But we're Bible people, and the best way to understand this theme is actually to try to trace it through the Bible. And the cool thing is, it's it's actually a really good opportunity for us to. Um, do a little bit of a lesson in how to interpret the Bible, some of the kind of methods yeah. that are often neglected. This is like one of the best examples of how to to, ins- to specifically use repeated imagery. Yeah, because modern people approach the biblical text and we want, we want to find a Bible verse where it defines baptism, where it says, you know, you're looking up in alphabetical order, you scroll down, you find B, B, A, baptism. And then there's the definition. It's just not going to do that. But what it will do is it will take images that are used all throughout the Bible and build like a, a a dictionary of images that then the biblical authors in the New Testament pull from this sort of dictionary of images that inform their understanding of what baptism is. Oh, the seventh one is divine orders. You just remembered it right now? Yes. Kev- I want to say that I remembered it. Truth be told, it. That Kevin didn't like flash it on the screen. No. He didn't cheat. Some- that was- so somebody... I'm going to be 100% honest. Somebody wrote priesthood, but I remembered before that while you were talking, and I wanted to let you finish your point, that it's holy orders, and it is people becoming priests. Yeah. Got it. Boom. Holy orders there. We're going to, you know, honor system here. No, you got it. That You got the seven. Sweet. Do I get a prize? Yeah. So now that I've derailed the point you were trying to make. No, that point saying, was done. We're going to look at how that's done. But that, in order to do that, I want to demonstrate what we're about to do with Star Wars. By Star Wars. <laughs> okay, Kevin. So, one of what you you have to learn this skill when you're reading the Bible is images will be used and reused, and they're meant to take your mind to certain places. So, for example, this, this takes place in movies all the time, but we're going to use Star Wars just because it's probably one of the more universally known. Yeah kind of trilogies or something but okay kevin or or sam whoever's first image okay in the original trilogy to star wars you get a narrative a flow a plot and that begins with um a robot a droid sorry it's not a droid i was uh, i was ready to correct you who's been who's given some data that contains secret information and he's set on a mission next picture then this droid who has secret information, who's set, set on a mission, winds up in a desert planet. And there he finds the new young hero. Next picture. Who's a desert nobody, by the way. Absolutely. Good point. Desert nobody. And then um, the desert nobody finds the other person they need. And then he projects this blue image of Princess Leia saying, help me. Obi-. Oh, is droid, secret mission, desert planet, finds desert nobody. Projects blue image. They see the secret information, yeah. Now, that's how the original trilogy Star Wars begins. And then the new trilogy, they didn't have any great ideas. So what happens? (laughs) You have secret information being given to a droid who's given the secret mission to find some lost Jedi. That's another point, actually. They just keep coming. The first lost, in the first one, it's this Jedi. And the next one, it's another Jedi. Okay, next picture. Then this droid with secret information on a secret information, mission finds themselves on a desert planet with a desert nobody boom next picture and then it projects 
the mission in this blue kind of crazy light. And just so it's painfully obvious, guess who's in the scene too? R2-D2 is just hanging out there. R2-D2. Hey, remember this? And then if it wasn't painfully obvious, what the, what the creators of the movie do is they do stuff like this. And so Ray is supposed to parallel Luke Skywalker. And you have to do that jump. Like what you just said, that's the interpretive jump, which is I map these images onto each other. And what that tells me is that I am supposed to see Ray exactly. as the new hero, the new only hope. And as long as you've seen the first trilogy, you're connecting these images and now you know, oh, Ray is the new, new hope. So you could watch the new Star Wars without ever having seen the old ones and it's a coherent story, movie makes sense, yep. it's a movie, it's still, a, but you're missing so much meaning. And you're missing so much, th so many things that would help you predict what's going to happen in the next couple movies if you okay. knew. Now, what I'd like to do is do this with the Bible. And I want to show you that actually in Genesis chapter one, do you have the specific yeah. verse? Okay. You, everyone's going to think I'm crazy. Everyone's going to think I'm crazy. Okay. Is it, uh, let's go there. Genesis, is it on the screen? Can yeah. Pull it? It, you can pull it up. Okay. Genesis one nine. Can you read that? You want to make it bigger? Oh, you can read it from your computer. I can, I'll make okay. it bigger so you can read it too. Okay. How's that? Is that still too small? You're getting old, man. I just don't see the nine. Where does the nine? It's, it's under, it's up here. It's oh, Kevin is hiding it to make me look dumb. Yeah, okay, I there see what you're doing. There we go. I'll put doing. it more in the middle for you. Okay. <laughs> and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. Okay. Let the waters from under the heavens be gathered together and let the dry land appear. That verse is actually about baptism. And you would say, that's the first thing in the Bible that's about baptism. That's the first, that, that verse is, is pointing to baptism. Now, most sane Christians most sane ones, yeah. would go, what the heck are you talking about yeah, right now? That's, this is about creation. This is about God creating dry land. Yeah. And you wouldn't say, no, that's not true. No, that, yeah, that's true. But you'd say, you're saying this is also about baptism. Yeah. And what we're going to do in like seven minutes or less, or maybe more. No. More. Okay, more. We're going <laughs> to prove it to you. We're going to prove it to you, but it's going to take some work. But the reason why this is so important is I'm not just making a point about baptism. I, I'd like to demonstrate what biblical authors do with images and how they build and grow throughout the biblical narrative so that I can, with certainty, and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. That verse about dry land appearing points to baptism. And I would, I'll say on your behalf, having walked through this with you in the past, that this will also help your theological understanding of what baptism is for and how it should be practiced. Yeah, big, this is good. that's true. That's true. Okay, so, so first, what I want you to do is reflect on the image of dry land appearing out of waters, out of the water. First, you have to understand that what that's talking about is life coming out of water. And in the ancient Near Eastern world, water is, is not necessarily something good. It's a place of chaos. It represents death. Um, in the book of Daniel and other apocalyptic literature in the Bible, the beasts that rage war on God's people, they come from the waters. In the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, when there's no more war, there's no more death, there's no more destruction, yeah, it there's says no more there's no more water. The sea will be no more. And it's not saying that in heaven, there's no beaches. Right. Water, water does something. The kind of chaos that represents all of the, the forces against, that work against God yes. in a sense, that God is good, order, creation. The waters represent this kind of chaos and 
like forces that are striving against the goodness yeah, and of that, God's that, creation. That is all throughout scripture. The water, the waters is, and it's not that they're, e- it's not that the waters are evil in the biblical narrative, especially in Genesis, right. the, the waters are under the control of God. He Which is itself them. a polemic, right? Yes, that, because that, the waters weren't. So for instance, in other creation accounts, the waters often birthed new deities and they were at war with one another. So in the Genesis account, water is under the control of God, but it's still for humans, a chaotic place. You don't go and sail a boat across the ocean and just, and that's true of most human history just until very recent times. Okay. So all that to say is just basically see, and even if you don't, you're not on board with the, the water stuff, just see dry land appearing and this dry land is having to do with life emerging. And it's rising out from the water. Out from the water. And that, wor- that word becomes significant, right? This, the he- the Yabasha, so the, the dry so land. So very important. There's a few words in Hebrew that could talk about land or dry land. One is Adama, which is um, kind of used when it talks about Adam, Adam being made from the dust. And the, it, he's a ground dirt man yeah. type of thing. Dirt. And then there's Eretz which is often used of land or Israel itself, the land. But this is a, as a unique word. And if you were to do a word study on the word used here, Yabasha, you're going to see it mostly used in accounts where uh, dry land is appearing or someone is put out over waters or expelled from waters or when there's water, and we're going to get to this event, when there's waters in front of people and the waters mean imminent death, and then something miraculous occurs, and the waters, for instance, are parted. You walk on Yabasha. Yabasha is sort of this provision of dry land yeah. in the midst of yes. Yes. chaotic waters. Okay, so just as we begin, dry land, Yabasha, it sets up life. Yeah. Start building a little mental library yeah. of these images. Okay, and now again, uh, in the next case in Genesis 7, we have the flood story. Right. And what happens? A little birdie sent out comes back and dry land, the water subsides, and then life. And by the way, that's a throwback to the original garden scene because as Noah and his family get out, there's a garden scene and there's the command again to have dominion over creation and to spread out overall, blah, blah, blah. So it's a, it's a repeat yeah. of that. And Adam and Noah, like Adam, sins in the presence of the garden. Yes. Um, and even even the flood itself is this sort of very intentionally designed reversal of what happened and just happened in Genesis 1, 9, that God parts the waters and the Yabasha emerges. And yeah. in, in the flood account, it's the opposite. God is allowing waters to burst forth and cover the land again. Mm-hmm. So it's the, you have that kind of reversal. But in the midst of that, there's still this provision. And so two, two images very early in the Bible are established. One is life coming out of the waters. And the other one, because the dry land, and this is important, the dry land appears in Genesis on the third day. And so one image is of third day risings, and the other image is, is life coming out of water. Now, that seems like, okay, I don't even see that there. That doesn't even make sense. But what, what you need to see, and you need to trace how the biblical authors look back at these two images of life coming out of waters and then third day life and third day rising and see how they're employed. In yeah, the rest and, of the and they Testament. sort of develop parallel to each they, other. They, they don't, yeah, they develop parallel and then at certain key moments, they cross. Yeah, let's look at the next one. What's the next one? Uh, Abraham and Isaac. So we'll do Genesis 22. Abraham is basically set, told to go sacrifice your son Isaac. And so he gets a death sentence. Isaac will die. 
But then Abraham and Isaac arrive to Mount Moriah on the third day. Right, right here, Genesis 22, 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place, meaning the place he's supposed to sacrifice mm-hmm. his son from afar. But he got the command, death, and then three days later, God provides. So again, there's not, there's not, that doesn't prove anything at this point. All it's beginning to show is that the biblical authors are starting to have an image of third day right. life from death. And anyone who is not familiar with that story, the point of that is that God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, but then when he goes to actually do it, God provides a different substitutionary sacrifice. Yep. So Isaac doesn't die. And so that very much is like a deliverance from death that takes place on the yeah. third day. Not a deliverance from water, a deliverance from death. But water can often mean death, as in the flood story, right. water brought death. So these are two different parallel things, but just keep paying attention. Okay, um, you see this same third day rising pattern or third day life pattern in Exodus at the making of the covenant. Yeah, so we can Exodus 19.10. So this is when Moses has just brought the Israelites to the foot of Mount Sinai and God is about to give them the law. Mm-hmm. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Yep. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people and you will set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go down to the mountain and touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Okay. So, what this is having allusions to is when do you when do you see images and thoughts of if you touch this, death will come. But if you don't touch, you get life. Mm. Well, in the garden, again, there's this this language of don't touch, don't eat. Man, if you this do, is you'll bad. surely die. If you if you eat of this fruit, you're going to surely die. Um, and of course, that's that's what happens. And now again, you have this third day pattern of don't do that. If you do this, you die. But if you don't, you live on the third day. So again, nothing nothing like the dots aren't connected. Right. And by the way, this is five chapters after God has divided the chaotic waters of death before Israel and they yes. have walked through on Yabasha, dry land. That Israel just happened. Is before on one side they have the armies of Pharaoh, death. And on the other side, they have waters, death. And they're crying out to him, we're gonna die. Then what happens? God parts the waters and they walk across Yabasha, dry land. So again, now you may be saying to yourself, I'm not seeing the dots connected here. And you're right. They're not necessarily connected yet. You just have some of these loose, repeated patterns. But the more these patterns repeat themselves, the biblical authors will begin to say, no, 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 there's something more going on here. So let's keep going. Uh, is the Hosea next? Hosea? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in between that is worth mentioning. You Here's have another the, one. The Red Sea is is completely recapitulated with Joshua. Yeah. So when the people of Israel go into the promised land, Joshua brings them to the Jordan River and God basically repeats the same miracle that he causes water to stand up in a heap and they walk across. And it talks about the priests with the ark standing yeah. on Yabasha. Yep. So same. So once again, deliverance through water via Yabasha because of God's provision. And then the next one is that is that passage in Hosea 6, the very beginning of Hosea 6. We can read that. You want to pull that up, Kev? Yeah, we, just we, got a re- we just got uh, someone liked us again. I just saw it. I don't know why what we did, but keep the likes up. It means a lot. 
Um, we're trying to break a world record for Theology Thursday and get to 20 likes. <laughs> no, we got past 20 the time we said that Kevin's job depended on it. Okay, Kevin's job depends <laughs> upon it. Again, we hit that like button. And subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Okay, uh, is it verse one, Sam? Yeah, one and two. So come let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. So Hosea employs this similar pattern and theme of on the third day, something will rise up. And you're starting to see that on the third day in the Old Testament scriptures, things rise up. And that rising up is to life. It's yeah. like something's about to die. Something has died. Or in the case of uh, Abraham and Isaac, someone's going to die. But on the third day, life will occur. Now, if you're a Christian, you're already going, okay, I'm starting to get how that theme might yes. just pay off in the New Testament. Yes. Duh. And hopefully that's, I'm sure some of that's new to you guys that like, whoa, there's all this rising yeah. from death on the third day stuff. But parallel to that, we've seen this oh. developing. Yeah, go ahead. We forgot. See, this, this is how the images work. <clears throat> the ark that's on the waters is functioning to save oh, right. the people. Right, absolutely. Oh, and by the way. You're talking about Noah's ark. Noah's ark. That word in Hebrew is the same word used. Oh my gosh. That I can't believe we forgot this. That they place baby Moses in, in the waters to save his life. So, so Moses as a baby is under threat from Pharaoh that he's going to die just because he's a Jewish boy who's born during yep. that Pharaoh's reign. And in order to protect him, his mother puts him in what your English translation says is a basket. Yes. But the word is the exact ark. same Hebrew word for ark. He's put in an ark above the chaotic waters, the river, and he's given life, salvation. He's spared because of this. So again, all these images of life being preserved or saved miraculously from waters that are bringing on impending death. The waters are about to kill you. The waters before Pharaoh and the Israelites bring death. Jordan, you're not going to cross that. The flood, they bring death. But God spares you from the waters through of the waters yes and then simultaneously you have also this image and thought of third day rising okay now in the book of jonah something crazy happens boom in the book of jonah i'm like your hype man i'm all these, boom. these two parallel <laughs> images touch they, they they interact with each other so in jonah chapter two in the last verse by the way so jonah is swallowed in the belly of the fish, and he's in the waters. And he's brought to the depths. He's brought to the depths of death. It says he's in the belly of Sheol in yeah, chapter look 2. At, look at verse 5. This is part of Jonah's poem from within the stomach of the fish. He says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. I mean, this is psalmic language. The Psalms yep. talk about the waters like this all the time. Yeah, David the could be surrounded by Saul and his armies, and yeah. he says, the waters are overtaking me. And, and the waters me. are to my neck. There's all this images. Waters are about to kill you, okay? Now Jonah is devoured in the waters. He's in the belly, and he's about to die. He says he's in the belly of Sheol. And then the fish, on the third day, vomits Jonah out on the Yabashah, Boom. the dry land. Yabashah. And so Jonah is given life and sort of rebirth and salvation as he's vomited out on Yabasha on the third day. Okay. So, so you cannot oversell the significance of this moment because for 
a long time. And by the time you're in Jonah, you're in the prophets. There are mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of biblical history. Mm-hmm. And these themes have developed parallel, but not together. It's like, like we've been talking about. And then all of a sudden in Jonah, you have the smashing together of these two different themes of God's yep. deliverance. And the biblical authors do this all the time. They smash themes and images together. I mean, that's, that's part of how the story is, the story is being told. Okay. So then you're thinking, oh, wow. Okay. That's maybe making sense, but I, you know, the Bible doesn't explicitly say that anywhere. Well, one, the Bible rarely, when it's doing good storytelling, is like telling you, here, this is my explicit point I, I want you to see. Right. But just so we get it crystal clear, the Bible does make this theme explicitly clear in the life of Jesus. And in Matthew... Yeah, Matthew 12. Matthew 12, Jesus is being asked questions. Oh, and what's interesting is... Jesus is uh, preaching the kingdom to the down and outs, the people who weren't accepted. And the Pharisees are mad. He's preaching to the drunkards and to these people and to these people, which, by the way, ties into the book of Jonah because Jonah was supposed to bring a message of repentance to the Ninevites, who no one wanted to see saved. And the whole thing is about his resistance to His that resistance idea. to seeing these people offered a chance of repentance. Jesus is doing the same thing, offering a chance of repentance and salvation to people that no one wants to be invited to the kingdom. So they ask him this question, and Jesus says, you're going to get nothing except the sign of Jonah. Yeah, pull it up, Kev. So they, uh, they're asking for a sign. Uh-oh. Ooh, we got a little it bit of It kind of froze and then uh, didn't come up. Okay, leave it. Sam, yeah, no read it. I can read it. Um, so the Pharisees come and say, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. This is from Matthew uh, twelve thirty-eight. if you're following along. But he, Jesus, answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus goes, Remember all that stuff? That's what you're going to get. And of course, if you're, if, you, if you're a Christian, you know the story. What exactly happens? Yeah. Jesus will go into death and on the third day rise again. So what happens to Jesus, Jesus is claiming, runs parallel with what happened to Jonah. But what happened to Jonah is Jonah went into the waters. He didn't, go, he didn't get buried in the ground. Right. He got buried in the waters. Okay, this is important. I know, I know some of you are going like, oh, what's going Jonah was buried in the waters. Jesus is buried in the ground, but Jesus still says those events are going to parallel each other. And both of them rise from that situation on the third day. Rise in new life on the third day. Now, and then you can jump all of a sudden to like where it gets crystal clear in the New Testament epistles, right? That you have like, like the, like, because already you're like, okay, so, whoa. Sorry. Okay. Song started playing on the computer. No worries. Um, sorry about the technical problems, folks. So you've made a really good case that there's this all these images of water and third day deliverance. Yeah. And you go, okay, so that all sounds like it's about salvation. It's about the death and resurrection of yeah. Jesus. But what does this have to do with baptism? Well, and this is how you know what everything I've just said. If you're still skeptical, this will prove it. Because when the biblical authors then look back at the death of Jesus and baptism, they will merge all of these images and languages. So let's go to some, let's go. Yeah. So Colossians 2, 11 is the biggest example of this. This is it, man. This is, this is, this. 
Now we could have started here, and this is important because the kind of proof texty way of doing this would have been to say, this is what the Bible says about baptism, but you are now ready to hear this because of everything we just did. So when the New Testament authors talk about baptism, what's the language, sign, and symbol, and images that they are employing to describe the event of baptism? Kevin's going to throw good. in um, 11 through 12, Kevin, um, and that should be perfect. And, but, I'll, but I'll start reading it now. Listen, just listen and follow along if you have a Bible with you. In him, meaning in Jesus, this is Paul writing in the book of Colossians. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith okay, so in the powerful working of God. Okay, so you are buried with Jesus in baptism, but Jesus was buried in dirt. It's okay, Kevin. I can hear Kevin pouting <laughs> over there, man. It's all right, man. He's got he's he's struggling with technical difficulties. Okay. You're still our you're still the MVP. You're still a homeboy, man. Jesus is buried in death in the ground, but they're saying you're buried with Jesus in baptism. In which case, you in baptism, you're not buried in the ground, you're buried in waters. Right. And the waters correspond to death, just like the ground and death corresponded to Jesus. So just as Jesus related his burial underground to Jonah's burial in the water. Yeah. So now Paul says your burial in the water symbolically is your yes. dying and rising with Christ, which is incredibly important theologically for baptism. And is something we miss again and yeah, again and absolutely. again and again and again. How many times if you've been brought up in church, how many times have you heard that baptism is about you dying right. and specifically you dying with Christ? Yeah. And then, coming up in life as he, most of the time it's, and th this is fine too. I mean, it's like, this is a, something we do to externally say, you know, that we're one to follow Jesus. All that stuff's fine. But for the first Christians, the language that you died yeah. with Christ and yeah, he brought and, you and back your to your old life. self. And it suddenly starts to get married to all of these things that Paul says about your old self is dead. Yes. So you, you have been crucified with Christ and now you're alive with Christ. And all of that is so powerfully represented in that baptism mm -hmm. act that you go down one person, that person dies and you mm -hmm. are then resurrected as, yep. as with, as was Jesus. So, so what happens is, is there's these images in the old Testament and maybe the dots aren't completely connected, but the images start to become powerful so much that then biblical authors are looking at these images and they're starting to use them in similar matter. so that now a pattern, begins to emerge. And then that pattern has symbolic value. And then by the time you get to the New Testament, they're like, they're, use, they're using the symbolic dictionary almost of waters and dry land appearing to describe in a, in a image what baptism is all about. Yeah. It's super powerful. I mean, Peter in second Peter talks about, yeah, that's the, another good one. he talks, I won't read the whole thing, but he, cause it's, it's such a strange long passage. But part of what he says is that baptism corresponds to Noah's Ark. He goes, just like Noah's family, eight people were delivered through the waters in this ark. Baptism, which corresponds to this, is how we are saved from death. It's like this bizarre passage. It also made me think I wasn't planning on even bringing this up, but it reminded me of uh, in Romans 6, he says, in Romans 6, um, yeah. 2 and following, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. 
in order that just as Christ was raised yep. from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You're buried into death, but you were actually buried into water. Yeah. And really, I mean, you're just dipped. It's not, you know, it's not like in the ancient world. You're going to hold them down, hold like down until they die. Yeah. The point is this, this sacrament is you are identifying with the death of Jesus and then identifying with the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's really powerful. We did baptisms at our church just this last Sunday and I was holding my three-year-old daughter and she has books about the resurrection and books about Lazarus and kind of has, you know, the little three-year-old categories for the idea of Jesus. You know, we read the book and go, well, Jesus is in the tomb. Did Jesus stay dead? And she goes, no, because she gets it. And we were watching and she was fascinated by people coming up out of the water, baptized, yeah. being baptized. And I, I told her, I was like, do you remember how Jesus is in the tomb, but then he comes out of the tomb and he's alive again? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, it's just like how they're coming out of the yeah. water. It's just like Jesus coming out of the tomb. Now, I want to show you how much the biblical author's do this and how different we are in our biblical interpretation. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives the closest thing to a definition of the gospel that we have. He says, like, this is of utmost importance. I'm giving this to you. And he says that Christ was buried according to the scriptures and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, what skeptics and non-believers may do is they say, actually, Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say Christ will be killed and yeah, resurrected on the third They're looking for like day. Isaiah to say, the servant will be buried and then they're raised. They're looking for the words. Yeah. Someone will be raised mm, on the that's, third day. That's good. They are thinking in text. If you think in text, Paul's wrong because there is no explicit text in the entire Bible that talks about third day risings. If you think in images, you go, the, the third day risings everywhere. I don't need one verse. I got 10. Where's the third day rising start? Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1. On the third day. Moses, Abraham and Isaac, Jonah, Hosea. Noah. If you think yeah. in text, Paul's wrong. If you think in images, it all makes sense. And you could say the whole Old Testament, and it has. The whole Old Testament has been preparing us yeah. for death and third day rising. And specifically, third day risings over waters, which could kind of correspond to death and to, to the first Peter passage you brought up. He says, this corresponds to the flood. Well, remember what was the flood, this ark of salvation, saving people. And then what, again, Moses, he's over the waters in yeah, the ark being in the saved. ark. And you got to remember Paul, Paul is an absolute Jedi master scholar of the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. So he spent, he is, he is as diehard devoted to that book as anyone in the first century was. I mean, he speaks of himself later after his conversion in the highest possible terms yeah. as, as a Pharisee and a student of the law. And so he, once it clicks for him that this is the Messiah and this is what God has been doing the whole time, you just picture it's like, you know, it's like, it's like a, in a beautiful mind, mm -hmm. the, the stuff just floating. Yeah, yeah. You can just imagine Paul seeing, oh my gosh, that is what all of these images have been about. But yet the skeptics to this day, you can go on the internet and be like, Paul the Apostle made up a, a fake prophecy in order to prove Jesus. I mean, you'll find that stuff still. And then you'll find Christians confused, but it's primarily because we're still reading it as modern text-based people looking for a proof text rather than seeing that the theme and image and pattern is is woven all throughout throughout the yeah. Bible. And that and this is exactly why I mean, we, this is so funny. We didn't even talk about the baptism of Jesus. Where well, keep it going, where, man. So <laughs> just, Okay, but stop, but stop. <laughs> this it's so crazy. The dots are being connected 
all of the time in sometimes explicit ways and sometimes some more subtle ways. But once you begin to think this way, they're everywhere. The, the everywhere the Bible is connecting images. So go ahead. Yeah, let's see. Kevin, you want to see if we can get my screen up again? I know it's, it's dangerous. Boom. Oh, oh check it out. So if we go to, Mar it's in the first chapter of Mark, right? The Mark baptism. Yeah, here we go. So in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, so again, remember to think in images mm -hmm. here, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven. You are my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. So in the flood story, what is there? A dove. There's a, there, in the flood story, the dove is representing life coming. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God creates the heaven of, heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Yeah. And there's early Jewish rabbinical interpretation that talks about the Spirit uh, was like a dove fluttering, fluttering. over its young. And, and so the image for many people was the image of the Spirit hovering like a dove. Yeah. And then you have a dove over the waters, in the flood story, and now you have the the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove. Now, at and risk by of, the way, yeah, I was about to say this at risk of pushing it to the breaking point. Who knows what Jonah's name means? Is that what you were going to say too? Yes. Anybody in the chat know what Jonah's name means? We can't wait that long. Jonah, in Hebrew, means cow. What? No, it means dove. <laughs> Jonah means dove. That Jonah functions. In the story, is it's God's dove, His offering of peace and a possibility of, of repentance and deliverance from these evil Ninevites. So, God is saying, you don't have to face judgment; you can respond to the dove. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's such a. Um, sorry, I'm reading one more thing from. Dude, another so, one. I don't know if you ever noticed this or not. Um, of course, I did. <laughs> I walked right into that. So when Jonah finally goes to Nineveh. Um, guess how big Nineveh is? It's an exceedingly it's great city. Three days three journey in circumference. days journey in breadth. So Jonah goes around the whole city. So like, again, you always want to have some guardrails because you can yeah. start to see things that aren't there. And so what we're not saying is, dude, any Every time you see three, it's baptism. But, but these, God has delivered Jonah after three days in the belly of the fish from the waters of death onto dry land. He goes to give a message of deliverance to the Ninevites and it's highlighted. How do we talk about how big the city is? It's a three days journey. Yeah, I mean, this is so the Israelites wander around the, in the desert for 40 years and then Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days. So there are clear connections that, are, but my point is to your point is like, don't over see things, you know, because yeah. every little thing has symbolic meaning. That's not the point what you want to see is there a clear pattern of something being used throughout scripture. And with 40 days, there clearly is in scriptures. Um, and so the dry land and the baptismal stuff is clearly there. And you know this because the new Testament authors prove it. So in the Colossians passage, Paul's like, boom, in the Peter passage, like, no, let me state it clearly. This corresponds to baptism. Yeah. So it's made explicitly clear if there was any, any doubt. Now, again, I want to stress, this isn't just an exercise to be like, Look at all the crazy cool connections, that, which is awesome. It makes the yeah. Bible more fun to read. It and you can clearly tell we're having fun um, doing this. <laughs> but you'll miss out on key theological developments because the, the biblical authors are making their points by using these images. So you go down into death. Now, 
compare let's let's transport that to like uh, a modern issue. Oftentimes we are told you need to discover the true you. What's holding you back is the true you. You just haven't found it. And what the biblical authors are saying is that true you or not, first and foremost, the old man has to die. Right. It has to go down into death. And the good news is, is that there's life that comes out, but there's this born again and renewal. But that's the opposite message. The message of Christianity is you must die to yourself. And yeah. that's in that passage. And Jesus makes that explicit. And thank clear. God from the beginning, part an essential part of the symbol has been that on the third day, God will bring new life, bring deliverance yes. from death. And so that's the message of, of Christianity is that Jesus accomplishes that once and for all for everyone who will entrust themselves to him. But then it makes baptism this infinitely more weighty thing. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's, and that's a big part of the point I think we want to make here. Um, and we'll, we have a little bit of time left to talk we'll through some of the kind of, on some, of some of the, some of the more like systematic type questions. But the general thing here is that if you're like me and you grew up evangelical and I grew up in the church I now work for, so I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody, but most people who grew up evangelical, when we talk about baptism, we say it's a symbol. Mm-hmm. And we sort of might use the Augustinian language of it's an outward symbol of an inward reality. Mm-hmm. But most of the time we mean that in a way that weakens it Yeah, because we really were so scared of making it sound like you, anything you do has to do with your salvation mm-hmm. that we want to be like, Oh, it's just a symbol. And to that, I want to say symbols are unbelievably powerful. When you get married and you put a ring on somebody's finger and say, I do. It's not, ah, it's just a symbol. Yeah. That is a covenant proclamation in front of witnesses that is declaring a truth and reality that will sustain you for the rest of your yeah. life. That's at least the intent. Yeah. And if you, if you drop on a knee and hold out a ring to a woman yeah. and say, will you marry me? And she says, no, you don't say, oh, it's just a symbol. Yeah. Man. No. Cause the thing that's so powerful, and this is the thing that the Western mind has to be able to understand about symbol. Me offering, you know, 12 years ago, I offered right. my wife a ring. Right. It's not just a yeah. symbol. The symbol is an act of love. The symbol is the embodiment of you saying, I want to pledge myself to yes. you. Yes. It's, it's not, not a mere just symbol. Just a symbol. It, the symbol is love. And so similarly on the negative side, if I'm in a horrible fight with my wife mm-hmm. and she were to take her ring off and slam it on the counter Dang. and walk out the door, that's never happened, by the way, just to be clear, my wife's watching. No, but, you, but you've heard these stories where somebody throws the ring. Yeah. Tons of people have experienced the pain of that. It's not, it didn't matter when they did that. It, it, had, yeah. it meant this is really it, bad. It actually is the action. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's not just a symbol of something. The symbol in that moment, when you take that ring off and, and throw it in the trash or slam it down or whatever, the symbol is itself an act of breaking of unity. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's breaking it. It may not break... You may have to do some more steps to actually legally right. end that marriage, but it is breaking a unity. It's very painful, very, very painful. And so similarly, when we say baptism, when Augustine says baptism is an outward symbol of an inward spiritual truth, he doesn't mean it in a way that's denigrating the symbol. The symbol is in, contains incredible as weight. a wedding ceremony. Yeah. And, and when, from here on out, when you see someone go down into the waters, that person is dying with Christ, they are in that burial and they are being brought up 
in new life just as Jesus was resurrected. And see, I think that's so much, and I'm sure we'll get into this with communion next week, I think that's so much more helpful than saying, well, does it or does it not save you? Because it's almost like that's the wrong question to ask. Like clearly, clearly, it is the grace of God in Christ Jesus that saves yeah. you. And But so the question of like, well, do I have to get baptized? It's like, to ask that question is to miss the point mm-hmm. to a large degree. Because the whole idea is they don't, the Bible doesn't say, make sure you do this. It's a really cool symbol. Mm-hmm. Paul says, in baptism, you died yeah. and you were resurrected with Jesus. And and he says it in more than one place. And mm-hmm. so the the it was just presumed for all of Christian history that if you're a Christian, you've, you've been baptized. It's not even a question. Yeah, maybe we could get that, that transition to the practical yeah. things is because oftentimes, uh, you know, I've been a pastor long enough where I've heard tons of different reasons why people don't get baptized. One of them is like, well, I'm not ready for that commitment yet. And it's sort of like you kind of, you're a Christian, but you kind of feel bad that your, your, your act isn't completely cleaned up. And so I want to, I want to make sure I'm right with the Lord before I get baptized. And it's like, that's not the way this works. Like, first off, you are made right in Christ upon faith. Right. But secondly, if you want to be right with God and you think there's some behavior that's getting in the way, the first and foremost behavior that you do is baptism, not the other stuff, because it's yeah. the first thing Christ has commanded you. It's believe and then be baptized. Yeah. And so that's a big, that's a big thing. So if there's, he- if you're out there and you're hesitant, like I, I need to, and I, I get that we all have insecurities. We feel, we feel unworthy. We feel there's tons of reasons why you may be feeling that. So don't hear me like griping on you. I'm just, I'm just letting you know, you don't have to feel that way and you shouldn't think about it that way. Right. Um, sometimes well, what I'll say like this, what other, what other reasons have you heard for people not wanting to get baptized? Most of what I've heard has to do with that kind of the fear of like, I'm not ready for this, but then there's also like, why should I almost like a, that's good. Almost like a, it doesn't, if it's just a symbol, I've already done it in my heart. I've heard multiple people who don't, who straight up don't have a good reason. It's almost like I'm, I don't like, I don't want the attention. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't think I should have to, because it's about faith, not works. Um, and you know, there's, there's a big spectrum of belief as far as how the baptism is related to salvation, like yeah. all the way from, you know, the really strong teachings of the Roman Catholic church, identifying them together yeah. to the kind of, like I said earlier, the more common evangelical idea that, oh, it's just a symbol, don't trip. Yeah. But that it's just a symbol, don't trip thing has been pushed so hard that I know, I know people who have been Christians for 10 years and haven't been baptized because they just don't really want to. And why should I have to? I don't. Yeah. And it's sort of like, if that, again, I, I'm going back to that marriage ceremony. That is a very, very powerful thing. When you, when you're pledging your I do's and putting the rings, like pe- you, people are crying, you're yeah. crying because it's, it's externally embodying everything that you are saying you believe in. And modern people have the ability to think that something can happen internally that doesn't have any implication or consequence externally. Right. And, and truth be told, that's not true. And more importantly than that, human beings need to externally embody things in order to solidify them right. internally. Yeah. Not to get too spicy, but within your very metaphor, the Christian who says, I don't need to get baptized. I'm a Christian. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Is very similar to the boyfriend who dates a girl for forever and says, "Yeah, why should why should we get married? It's we already live together. Everything's basically like 
I'll just have my cake and eat it too. We don't yeah. have to actually do marriage is this thing. Covenants that, are important. People, covenants matter in the Bible. They're, they're everywhere. And it's because God, he made us, he knows we're human. Yeah. And we, we need external things. We need to embody it. We need a ritual. Um, and when we don't have those things, oftentimes the things that we think are so secure internally actually haven't been solidified and yeah. the roots don't go very deep. But Jake, actually, Jake, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in. No, go ahead. Jacob says, I originally didn't want to get baptized because I do like attention. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> yeah, that's why we take people like you and baptize you privately. It's the first time in human history when you could get kudos for getting baptized. That's probably no, that's a dramatic overstatement because there's obviously times yeah, during imperial time. Christianity. But, but again, one of the, the interesting things is we use language like, well, I've, I've accepted Jesus into my heart as my Lord and personal savior. That's a very private thing that no one has to know. Yeah. But in many countries, you don't be, you're not persecuted when you invited Jesus into your heart as your personal savior, it's when you yeah. go down to the local river and publicly declare Jesus is my Lord. Now it matters because people say, I don't care what you said in your heart. Americans care what you said in your heart. Right. Like many cultures and throughout here, I don't care what you say in your heart. And what honestly, do your actions demonstrate? And even Americans would love it if everyone's religion would stay inside their heart. You know what I'm saying? So they're not, yeah. baptism isn't necessarily the thing that gets you in trouble. Jack Daly, who's, who at our, he's an elder at our church, who's actually taught baptism classes for years and years, says, talks about how in our baptism classes, we talked about baptism being the wedding ring of the Christian faith. I really think that's Well, a, your church must have some good baptism it classes, must, man. It must have some good They got good some good baptism pastors. classes at oh, that church. I thought we were going to say pastors. Yeah. The, um, and that's, and I think that's an important point too, just to, to kind of keep that Oh, here's the other thing. So it also is talked about in the New Testament as almost like the, um, and especially in the early church, as like the New Testament, New Covenant, an analog to circumcision. Yeah. So it's also sort of like the entry into the community of faith. Yes, this is important. I just want to bring out we're four likes away from not having a fire, Kevin. Um, That's true. Four likes and Kevin gets to keep his job. Um, and he doesn't, his mic's not working today, so he can't even defend no, himself. Someone might have unplugged that guy, though. Um, okay, so I had, yeah. I'm a little concerned right now. <laughs> I'm a little concerned right now. That was Kevin speaking as Nacho. In preparation. To say what he's feeling. Okay, what did you just say? I, have I talked to, I, about how about how circumcision and baptism are are old oh, covenant, okay, new yes. covenant okay, analogs got it, got for each it. other. One of the other things historically, baptism was sort of like your entry into the covenant community to the church community, um, and that's another thing that we we downplay. It's sort of like, man, I go to this church. If I don't like it, I go to the church up up the road or something like yeah. that. Rather than this idea that I'm belonging to a church community kind of in a covenant manner. It's like, yeah. no, I'm, I'm in. And, um, one of the sayings that some people would use is that like, let's say you start backsliding or sitting or falling out from the Christian community. They would say, we're going to drag you back by your baptism. Mm, wow. Um, and it's a way to say that I'm going to use that. You publicly declared your allegiance to Christ and his church, his bride, and that's what be baptized. You're being baptized into the covenant community. Drag so you, you back by drag your baptism. You back by your baptism. Where did you hear that? I heard it in. Uh, I think the first time I heard it, it was in a debate between Douglas Wilson and James White on whether or not people who were previously baptized um, 
I believe it was if you were baptized as an infant in the Catholic Church and you became Protestant, should you be should Protestant again? theology say should you get baptized or does that which occurred in in your kind of as an infant still count? And so they were debating. You can Google it's probably just Doug yeah, Wilson. What a James what White. a good line to drag you back by your baptism. Yeah. I'm going to use that on Jacob Serpa the next time he mouths off to me. I don't think that's how it's supposed to be used, but yeah, that's how could, I pl- that's how it. I plan to use it. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, we really that was awesome, super super interesting, and I think helpful for people. Yabasha, Yabasha, and again a good lesson. And start to build as you read the Bible. Start to build your kind of lexicon of imagery so that you can start to see this kind of stuff. I the call I'm going to make just because of time, so that we're not rushing it too much. We're going to have a Q and A episode on this series on church okay. and sacrament. And so let's cover um, like, should we baptize babies or just confessing adults? Um, and let's cover, should we sprinkle or should we dunk on the Q and a? Oh, episode. I thought you could say right now it's got four minutes. No, man. no, no, no. We'll cover that <laughs> because we only have four Q&A. minutes. We'll okay. cover that in yeah, Q and a. That's good. Cause that deserves some time, especially um, I mean, I will here. I'll do really briefly the sprinkling or dunking thing. I mean, there's a lot of arguments on both sides, but I would say on a gut level, Everything we just said about how this image works, yes, absolutely leads me to believe, and and honestly, that the meaning of the Greek word "baptize" is baptizo means baptizo means dip, yeah. And so, so again, it's I'm not not throwing rocks at other traditions. I'm just saying if the image is you're buried and you're coming back to life, which one makes the most sense? Um, but we'll cut. We'll get into more detail on that, and we'll talk about whether or not we ought to baptize babies. Um, on the Q&A episode. And whether or not Kevin could get rebaptized because he knows he wants to. He wants to. I'm a little concerned right now. All right, cool. Let's... Concerned right now. <laughs> I like the idea of Kevin with no mic, but with a soundboard of movie quotes that he can use Actually, to represent okay, how he's Actually, okay, if feeling. we can do that, that would... Be, that's our outro music. <laughs> yeah, he's but playing if, if Kevin can just respond in quotes from Nacho Libre, that would be... That I think that'd be, be a better Kevin in a lot could of ways. Be. <laughs> Hey, thank you guys so much for being here. If you have questions for the Q&A, comment on this video or email them to me. That'll be in, I think, three weeks we'll be doing the Q&A. <laughs> you, got so two, you need two more likes, Two more man. likes to keep you Kevin's job. You got 10 job. seconds. Oh, man. <laughs> have a great night, everybody. Thanks oh, for being here. Oh, it ain't going to happen. Two more likes. You know what's messed up, too, is there's 20 viewers. Friends.